Matthew 20 from verse 1. It's Jesus speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and received the denarius. So when those who, so when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am, so, because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For gold, it'll be over in 90 seconds. Matthew Turcotte takes the lead. He was advanced out of the semifinal. And there's the young Korean skater sliding on the inside. Sometimes you don't even know where he is. He's so small, he just slips in there. All right now Ono hanging back in fourth. They're trying to pass on the inside. Some Jocelyn, common and short back. Apollo has to be careful. He does not want to get disqualified. And with only six laps to go, he does not want to get caught in the back when the pace really picks up. Now on from Korea has taken the lead. Move on the outside. A great pass by Lee Zajun. Coming up on the inside. It's going to be between these two. A lap and a half. And Ono, here's the bell. One lap for gold. He's reaching back for one more gear. Trying to hold up Lee. They bump. They bump. Steven oh, oh, Bradbury of Australia crossed the line. Oh, we'll sort that out later. <laughs> okay, so that was one of the greatest moments in Australian sporting history, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, it was the moment that the ice ceiling was broken. Uh, it was the moment that Stephen Bradbury won Australia's and the Southern Hemisphere's first ever Winter Olympics gold medal. Uh, do you remember seeing that when it happened? Right. It was great, wasn't it? He'd actually had a dream run through most of his, through all of his races up to that point. 
he got through the uh, quarterfinals because uh, another skater was disqualified. He progressed to the semi-finals where he came second because three of the other skaters crashed. And then in the gold medal race, as the other four skaters, as you just saw, as they uh, really um, jostled with each other, as they worked so hard to uh, try to uh, get into first position, they all crashed and Steve Bradbury cruised first across the line. Coming last, uh, well off the pace, gold medal. How about that, eh? That was sweet. Do you think he deserved to win? Look, before you answer that question, let me just tell you that the way you answer this question uh, determines whether or not you're a true Australian. <laughs> Uh, but what if one of the other skaters was an Aussie? What if the <clears throat> skater that was you know, up front was an Aussie and uh, someone else had caused a crash <clears throat> and some guy from some other country sort of skated through and got the gold medal? How would we feel then? Uh, we'd feel ripped off, wouldn't we? Uh, we would be outraged. Uh, we would be indignant. We would be demanding that the whole race be replayed uh, if that was us. Because uh, I think it's right in one sense that um, <clears throat> we, uh, we believe, rightly so, that, um, that uh, skill and hard work should be rewarded and it doesn't just seem all that fair that uh, someone coming last should come first, except if it's an Aussie, <laughs> then it's fair. Right? Uh, yet in Matthew chapters 19 and 20, which you might want to have open uh, in, front of, in, in your Bibles at the, uh, now, in Matthew 19 and 20, Jesus keeps saying that when it comes to the kingdom of God, that the first will be last and the last will be first. Uh, you see it, for example, you see it, for example, in uh, chapter 19, verse 30, which is where we ended up at the uh, end of last week, after uh, the rich young man. Jesus says there, verse 30, chapter 19, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Uh, then if you go right to the very end of today's passage, if you go to chapter 20, verse 16, what does Jesus say? He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, so those two sentences of Jesus uh, like um, two pieces of bread and in between the, the sandwich uh, there is a parable. He teaches this parable to his disciples. Let's have a look at the parable. Uh, we see in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 20, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and he sent them to work in his vineyard. So that sets the scene here as a landowner. He's a farmer. Uh, he owns a vineyard. And at uh, different times of the year, I guess, it uh, got pretty busy. Like, for example, when he's clearing land uh, to plant more vines or where he's, when he's pruning vines or, of course, at harvest time, uh, there's more work to be done. Uh, the farmer needs casual workers who he can't afford to employ for the rest of the year to have them sitting around doing nothing. So... He goes down to the section of the marketplace in the town, uh, the part of the marketplace where uh, labourers would line up uh, from early in the morning 
in order to get hired for a day's work. So he hires some men and he agrees to pay them one denarius for the day. Now, apparently that was a, um, that was a, a fair rate. Some say it was even a generous rate. Uh, they say that the rate of pay for a Roman soldier was about one denarius per day. And off they went to work, this group of labourers. But then in verse 3, which is the third hour of the day, uh, which would have been nine o'clock because in the way that they operated, the first hour of the day was six o'clock in the morning. That's when you started work normally. In the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning, uh, the farmer went back to the town in order to hire some more labourers for his field. And then in uh, verse five, at the sixth hour, and that's midday, uh, in the heat of the day, and again at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, he goes back to the town and he hires some more workers. But uh, notice this, in verse four, you don't, for these additional workers, he doesn't specify a particular rate of pay. He simply says that he would pay them what is right. So the guys that started at six o'clock in the morning promised them one denarius. Everyone who started at staggered times during the day, he said, look, I'll just pay you what's fair, or rather what is right. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us why he kept on going back uh, during the day to hire more workers. That doesn't matter. Uh, the surprising thing is this. What, what really would have surprised people is in verse 6 that at the 11th hour he went back into town to hire some more workers. Why was that surprising? It's surprising because the 11th hour is 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's why it's surprising. It's one hour before knock-off time. Um, one of the farmers in our congregation who uh, will remain anonymous uh, asked me to tell you that... Uh, this, is, this passage is not Jesus's industrial relations policy for farmers and their employment of their workers. Now, that is true. But let me say this, that there were industrial relations uh, laws in the Bible which uh, this farmer had to stick to. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13 says this. It says, You shall not oppress your neighbour or rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. And Moses went on to uh, explain that in Deuteronomy chapter 24 when he said, look, you know, labourers are generally poor. Uh, they, they live from hand to mouth. Uh, they need the, their pay straight away because that's what they use to put food on the table for the next day. All right? So you don't leave them waiting. At the end of the day, the labourer has to be paid. So we see this uh, farmer putting that into practice in verse 8 when it was time to clock off. Uh, it was pay time. But this is the Steve Bradbury moment. <clears throat> uh, normally, normally, the men who started first would be paid first. They wouldn't be asked to wait around for others to be paid. They would be paid first. And the men who started last, they would be paid last. But in verse 8, they were the first ones who were called. From the back of the line, straight to the front of the line, to pick up their pay. That was surprising. It's kind of the wrong way around. 
But even more surprising, in verse 9, see how much they were paid. Uh, They were paid one denarius. A full day's pay for 60 minutes of work. Now, imagine how happy they were. I mean, that was their Steve Bradbury moment, wasn't it? That was fantastic. But imagine how excited the other workers would have been because they see these blokes walking away from the foreman counting up there, you know, with their one denarius coin and they're thinking, strike, um, check that out, you know. Um, the, these blokes, you know, we've been working since daybreak. These blokes have just turned up, uh, you know, and worked for one hour and they're getting paid a full denarius. I mean, you know, these guys would be thinking, they'd be getting out their calculators and they'd be thinking, oh, well, I've worked 12 hours, so maybe this means I'm actually going to get 12 denariuses. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine uh, how excited they would be. Two weeks of pay for one day of work. You beauty. Uh, but of course they were wrong, weren't they? Uh, in verse 10, when they went to collect their pay, they were each paid only one denarius. Now, when you think about it, you can, you can understand why these guys would have felt a little bit kind of ripped off by that. I mean, they'd been sweating it out since daybreak. These other blokes have rocked up in the past 60 minutes, uh, which is when things are actually winding down uh, in terms of the workload. But the late starters got the same amount of pay. Did they deserve that? Did they deserve that? Well, see what uh, these early workers said to the far, uh, said to the farmer in verse twelve. In verse twelve, uh, these men they said this. They said to him, "These men who were hired last worked only one hour." They said, "And you have made them equal to us." Who have been who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Well, the landowner's got a couple of things to say in response to that. You see it in verse 13. But he answered one of them, um, probably a spokesperson for them. Um, they didn't have shop stewards in those days, but you know, he'd be that kind of guy. He answered one of them, a friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Wasn't that the deal? Wasn't that the um, uh, the workplace uh, um, agreement? Right? You would work for one denarius. Take your pay and go. I want to work. I want. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm so generous? So what he's saying is, we had a workplace agreement. And I've stuck to it. Uh, That's fair. That's right. And if I want to be generous towards someone else, then that's my business. Uh, It's my money. I'll use it how I want. This is not about you. And then Jesus rounds it off in verse 16 uh, by saying, the last will be first and the first will be last. So, okay, what's Jesus on about here? I mean, this is clearly not a parable about industrial relations policy. But the the parable uh, illustrates some of the great truths about God's kingdom. And it seems to me that we have to look at this parable in its context, uh, in the context of uh, uh, what's gone on on earlier in chapter 19 
and indeed what will happen later in chapter 20. Um, because what Jesus does here, uh, firstly, is in, in, the, in this parable and the passages that are around it, on before it and after, after it, Jesus takes the, the value system of our world and he turns it upside down. He reverses, he inverts the value system of our world. Uh, the first won't be first, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, we've already seen that, haven't we? Uh, if you think back to chapter 19 for a moment, think back to last week's sermon, if you can think back that far. All right? and in chapter 19, do you remember when the parents brought their children to Jesus to have Jesus bless the children? How did the... In, in Jewish culture, children were considered to be very insignificant. They had very little status. Now, how did the disciples react when these parents brought their children to Jesus? They rebuked the parents, didn't they? They said, uh, look, basically go away. Jesus isn't interested in you know, little kids. But Jesus said, no, 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 the, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. They are humble, they are dependent. Um, yes, they may be last, but people who are like that will actually be first because he's, the, the children are welcome to come to Jesus. He wants them. He wants to bless them. Then, secondly, last week we saw the rich young ruler. He rolls up to Jesus. Now, did the disciples tell him to go away? No, of course not. I mean, in worldly terms, he looked like he would be the first. Uh, a man like that, who was rich, who was moral, who was successful, people would be falling over themselves to welcome him uh, into the kingdom of heaven. But not Jesus. Because this man, unlike the children, refused to be dependent. He refused to be humble. He refused to put his trust in God and God alone. And so although he looks like he's first in this world, in the kingdom of heaven, he's actually shut out. He's last. It's kind of upside down from the way that people would have normally expected. And then there were the disciples. In verse 27... Peter points out to Jesus that they had left everything in order to follow Jesus. They had given up their security, their status. They had given up their businesses. They'd given up their jobs. They had given up their homes. They had left everything. And in a worldly sense, they did not look particularly impressive. They were now itinerant followers of a preacher. Uh, in worldly terms, they looked like they were last. But Jesus, in verse 29, says, well, actually, you might look like you're last, but you're first in my kingdom because when I come into my kingdom, you're going to rule with me. So the last will be first. The disciples didn't quite get it, and uh, as we'll see next week, when we look at the second part of chapter 20, Peter's going to preach on that, we see this unseemly um, scenario of uh, disciples actually jostling for position and power. They're still thinking that Jesus' kingdom is going to be an earthly kingdom and uh, the mother of uh, uh, the sons of Zebedee uh, approaches Jesus and says, how about my two sons be in the, you know, your right-hand and left-hand man when you come into your kingdom? 
So that is a worldly way of thinking and Jesus has to turn it on its head because he says in verse 26 to his disciples, whoever wants to be the first must be your, do you see what it says in verse 26? Must be your slave. Right? He's taken the value system of the world and he's turned it on its head. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, the values are upside down. And we see that in this parable. In fact, this parable is deliberately provocative. It's deliberately provocative. Uh, you see, Jesus could have told a parable about some bloke who just went out to the marketplace and gave money away freely to the poor people, but he doesn't tell that sort of parable. He tells a provocative parable that actually uh, provokes our sense of injustice that uh, some guys that have worked for the whole day don't get paid as much as the guys that turn up in the last 60 minutes. And their reward is identical. Start working at 6am or start working at 5pm, the reward is the same. Now, remember um, when Jesus hung on the cross that uh, there were a couple of thieves who were hanging on crosses next to him. Uh, there was one thief in particular who in his dying breath, this thief believed in Jesus. And he received the same heavenly reward as any other Christian. That thief who turned to Christ at the last moment, he receives the same heavenly reward as you and me if we are people who trust in Christ. In fact, that thief who turned to Christ at the last moment, he receives the, the same reward as the apostles receive. Now think about that. That thief, he died justly as a criminal, whereas the apostles, uh, some of them died unjustly serving God. That thief, he didn't even spend one hour of his life serving Christ, whereas the apostles most of them, Judas excluded, went on to serve Christ uh, faithfully, well into old age, for decades and decades. Now let me say this. In heaven, in heaven, if we have served Christ well, we will experience an added blessing. The Bible talks about this. But that added blessing is that we will see people who are in heaven who are in heaven partly as a result of having heard the words of the gospel from our lips or having heard the gospel through our prayers, that we have been involved in that work of them actually hearing the gospel and being saved. And there is great blessing, there is great reward in that. Uh, that is in, will be incredibly satisfying. But the reward of heaven the reward of a position in heaven is the same for everybody. Whether you uh, have trusted in Jesus since childhood and have served him actively and fruitfully for the whole of your life or whether you are a person who has lived in rebellion and rejection of God, whether you've ignored God all of your life and then you've come to a point perhaps late in your life, in your 60s, even your 70s, where... Burdened by the guilt of your sin, you have turned to Christ Jesus and you've found forgiveness. 
whatever person you are, the reward of a place in heaven is the same. It's the same reward. Now, what do you think about that man, Duke? I think his name's Duke. I've talked about him a couple of times in sermons over over the last little while because he's such an interesting story. Um, He's that Cambodian man who uh, has been on trial uh, for crimes against humanity. Have you heard about the trial? Some of you haven't heard about that trial. Let me fill you in on that. Uh, He's... um, he was one of the highest-ranking officers in Pol Pot's murderous regime, which was back in the 70s, I think. And uh, he, was, he was in charge of torture camps. Uh, that was his job. In March of this year, about six weeks ago, he uh, made a public statement uh, whereby he took... Uh, full responsibility for torturing and murdering many thousands of innocent people. Now, a man like that uh, is not exactly an ideal kind of person, is he? Um, One of the worst murderers of the 20th century. About 14 years ago, the regime had obviously collapsed a long time earlier. Uh, he found himself in a desperate situation and cap in hand, uh, in grief for what he had done uh, and having heard about this man Jesus, uh, Duke uh, confessed his sin and begged God for mercy and received that mercy. He understood about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and he turned his life over to Christ and serving him. Uh, Time magazine wrote a big feature article about his conversion to Christianity. One of the interesting things was that he went on then to go and work for World Vision uh, in refugee camps, helping and serving people who needed to be helped and served. It's an interesting story, isn't it? the story of Duke. Well, what that's saying is that on the same basis that God has accepted you and me into his kingdom, he has also accepted one of the worst murderers of the 20th century into his kingdom. Now, how do you feel about that? Some people might say, that is unfair. That man deserves to burn in hell for the rest of eternity for what he has done. Some people say that. Does it seem unjust to you? Do you feel that you deserve better than him? Um, after all, you've, uh, uh, you've lived a good life. Uh, you have tried to do your very best for God. And then you hear about some old bloke in the jungles of Cambodia who has uh, committed such atrocities and now apparently God's, God thinks he's okay. God's led him into heaven. How do you feel about that? Well, if you feel that that's wrong, that God shouldn't have done that, that you deserve something better than this man Duke, 
then perhaps you're just a tad like those early morning workers in that respect. Uh, if you feel that way, then maybe it's because you haven't understood the generosity of God. In fact, you may not have understood the significance of your own sinfulness. That sinfulness is not about the individual acts of sin that we do. It's about an attitude which says, I want to live my life my way. It's an attitude of ignoring God. And it's that attitude that puts us out of relationship with God, whether we are middle-class professional people in Port Macquarie, Australia, or the head of the torture camps in Pol Pot's regime. It's that attitude of rejecting and ignoring God that is the essence of sin, which leads to the things which we do. And if you've not understood the nature of your own sin, then you've not understood that, in fact, none of us deserves a place in God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is not about getting what we deserve. The kingdom of heaven is about being forgiven. It's about receiving a gift from a generous and a, and a merciful God. Now, Steve Bradbury is a kind of a fun example of what it means for the last to come first, isn't he? I actually read an interview that he did after the race and he said something like this. He said, look, I know that I was not the fastest skater on that rink. And he said, I knew that coming into the race, the way that I'd sort of <clears throat> sailed through in terms of the races beforehand. Uh, he said, I knew I was the oldest bloke in the race and quite frankly I was pretty tired <laughs> so he thought he said what I thought I would do is I'll just hang out at the at the back and hope that there'd be an accident <laughs> <laughs> and he sailed through he got the gold medal that is a great example of the last coming first but you want to know what the greatest example of the last coming first is it's here in this passage, or actually just after the parable. Because in chapter 20, verses 18 to, 18 to 19, verses 18 to 19, Jesus told the disciples about himself. He told the disciples what was going to happen to him. Do you see that? He says there that, he says, we're going to go to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. Now, if anyone looks like they're in the last place, if anyone looked like a failure, if anyone uh, looked like uh, they were a loser, then surely it was Jesus, uh, arrested as a criminal, uh, nailed to a cross, hanging there, dying, being ridiculed by all around. If anyone looked like a loser, it was him. But by dying on the cross, of course, he has paid the penalty for our rejection of God. He has paid for our sin. That was the purpose. And listen to what else he has to say to his disciples. In verse 19 he says, On the third day God will raise me from the dead. What looked like a loss uh, turns into God's ultimate victory through the resurrection of Jesus. And so the death and the resurrection of Jesus stands as the greatest example of the last being the first. 
and Peter will talk more about this next uh, next Sunday. But what I want to say in respect, in respect to that, it is the only reason why any of us can enter into God's kingdom. That is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's in that sense that we are all like the, the, the workers who've been hired at five o'clock in the afternoon. We've all received what we did not deserve. And when you realise that, you'll be blown away by the generosity of God. If you realise that you don't deserve anything and you simply trust in Christ Jesus, what he did on the cross, then in God's kingdom, you will be the first. You'll make your way through, trusting in him. Because God is very generous to those who put themselves last. Now let's pray about all that, shall we? Father, we thank you that uh, in your wisdom that you turn the value system of our world upside down. We thank you, Father God, for that which looked like a terrible loss. Uh, The death of Jesus on the cross uh, became, in fact, your greatest victory as he is resurrected from the dead. We pray for ourselves, Father God, that we would not have a high view of ourselves that we would not think of ourselves as being people who somehow deserve a place in your kingdom, but that we would be able to relate with those workers who who put on it last thing, five o'clock in the afternoon, and that we would be grateful for your incredible gift of eternal life. And Father, for those of us who uh, have become been Christians uh, since early on in our lives, may we keep on rejoicing as others come into your kingdom, especially those who come into your kingdom so late in life. Father, we thank you and we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen.